Hey guys, thanks for watching another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist or listening if you're not watching. By the way, if any of you guys are uh, people watching this on YouTube or Odyssey, but you'd prefer to listen uh, and eat up less of your data, I am on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a few other platforms. Uh, I put all my audio episodes out through Anchor. So you can find me there. I found out recently a lot of people didn't know I was on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, you can find me on both. Uh, Mike is having a bunch of technical difficulties. He's trying to get connected on the other end, but I'm not even sure he'll be able to. He's down in New Mexico, and I thought he was stationary because uh, he was stuck in Albuquerque, but I guess he's on the move right now, so he's having some trouble getting connected. Uh, hopefully he makes it, but even if he doesn't, um, I got plenty to talk about uh, that I can just do solo here. But um, the first thing I want to bring up is that I will be moving back to New Hampshire. I just talked with my boss today um, because I wanted him to hear from me first that I'd be leaving. Uh, I didn't want him hearing it through the grapevine. I know I've teased at it a little bit, talked about the possibility, but um, I've decided that is what I'm going to do. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. Um, I lived in Sunapee, New Hampshire for most of my life. Uh, and then part of my adult life too. Uh, I lived there till I was about 20. And then I left for a couple of years, traveled to all 50 states, lived in Arizona, in Tucson, and then in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I did roofing for six months out in Colorado with a bunch of Mexicans just to try to get a different taste of life, to see the world a little bit. Uh, drove up to Alaska with my brother. Uh, this was in 2016. I've actually, um, I made a uh, sort of like a mini documentary about our trip and it was taken off of YouTube for copyright, but I've got it uploading to Odyssey right now and I'll be sharing that soon uh, just to show people why I'm sad about Canada and like everything that's going on there because it's a beautiful country. I've been, um, you know, I've been all through the Canadian Rockies, up in the Yukon, British Columbia, uh, through the Maritime Provinces, even all the way out to um, Newfoundland. And it's a beautiful place. Uh, you know, I've been out to Hawaii, another absolutely beautiful part of this country. Um, you know, all 50 states met tons of people of different um, religious, political, ethnic backgrounds. And we all got along in like 2015, 2016. That's what's so sad about now is a lot of those people, they wouldn't be within six feet of me unless they know my vaccination status. Or if they knew some of the extremist views I have about the government, they wouldn't want to be anywhere near me. So I just find that really sad that, um, you know, that that's the case. Um, and I, I realize a lot of people who maybe have lived in a red state their whole lives and haven't traveled much, maybe they don't care so much about you know, what's going on in California now or what's going on in Hawaii or Canada. But, you know, California is geographically probably my favorite state in the country. <laughs> I mean, they've got everything, you know, they got redwoods, um, mountains, ocean, deserts. I mean, just everything you could want. And the people have just absolutely ruined it. Um, you know, and the same thing's going on with Canada now. So I don't know. That's all uh, kind of depressing. And it's why I left New Hampshire, actually. Uh, I left New Hampshire in 2020 before COVID took off. It was like the beginning of March in 2020. And then 
Um, I had like five job openings uh, that I was going to interview for. Uh, I think two of them were in Arizona. One of them was in Colorado. One of them was in Washington. And then one was the one I eventually took, which is in Utah. And I just love this country. I love driving all over the place, seeing different stuff. I love having, um, you know, I, I love I love moving around, just being in a different place every morning, especially when you don't even know where you're going next. And that's what my job has been the last almost two years. And it's been great. I've loved the job. My employer has been very good to me. Uh, also very gracious with working around things like Freedom Fest or uh, pork fest or going to the Tom Woods 2000 events, or, you know, if I told them, Hey, I've got an important podcast coming up and I'm going to pull, I'm going to need to pull over on the side of the road and record. He was very good about all those types of things. Um, and also if I had stayed in New Hampshire and kept doing power line construction, I don't think I would have ever been able to get this off the ground because that job, you can't listen to podcasts or intake information. That's a job that's very physically demanding. You're outside all the time. You have to be a hundred percent alert. Um, you know, if you're setting poles between 35,000 volt wires, you can't exactly space out and listen to some Scott Horton show or something like you've got to be intent on what you're doing. So the trucking has been um, a great profession to have while I've been, uh, creating this show podcast and getting it off the ground. So, um, certainly no regrets at all. Uh, if I were to do it over again, I'd probably do the exact same thing. Um, but this is not the same country it was two years ago when I left New Hampshire. Um, I remember I was hiking in the Grand Canyon in Arizona in like late March after the COVID hysteria had just kicked off. Uh, and I was with a friend and you know, we figured, oh, okay, we don't really know what's going on with all this disease shit, so we'll go take a hike. And we were hiking uh, down the Bright Angel Trail to the Colorado River, and this park ranger was about 50 feet away from us, and she screamed at us to stop. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if there was a mountain lion behind us or something or what she was freaking out about, but we stopped. Uh, and then she got like 10 feet off the trail and wrapped a bandana around her face and said, okay, now you can come down. And she gave us a lecture about how we were being irresponsible and we were spreading the disease by hiking in the Grand Canyon. Um, and I told one of my relatives about this and he thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world he'd ever heard. Um, and now here we are about two years later and this same relative will not be in the same room with me because I'm not fully vaccinated. So it just shows, you know, what a toll this has taken on people's brains, on their rationality on their humanity. I mean, it's just insane. I'm a, I know it's my choice to not get vaccinated, but I am a second class citizen in some places. Like I'm planning, I'm going to uh, March, uh, sorry, I'm going to uh, Washington DC in March uh, to see Ryan Dawson uh, with Eric Jackman and none of the three of us are vaccinated. So we're not going to be able to eat anywhere in Washington DC. We're going to have to go into Virginia or something, you know? So there are places where they will not serve me food, uh, which is just absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, and the dehumanization that's taken place on uh, a large scale is just very disturbing. Um, and, and it's been surprising to see who it's been from. You know, um, 
I remember like a few years ago, I would get into arguments with some of my Republican friends who they literally wanted to send trucks into the southern United States and round up illegal immigrants and deport them back to Mexico. And I was trying to talk to them about the logistics of that and how authoritarian of a government you would need to violate so many innocent people's rights to be able to pull that off. And it wasn't really much of a concern to them. Meanwhile, you had a lot of liberals who were complaining about children being in cages at the border and stuff. And over the last couple of years, that narrative is almost completely flipped. Uh, now the, you know, now the Democrats are fine with putting you in camps and like segregating you and um, keeping you separated from the rest of society. And they're still putting kids in cages anyway. So uh, that's just been absolutely insane to watch. But all that to say, um, I think New Hampshire is where I belong. Uh, before I left New Hampshire in 2020, you know, I knew what the Free State Project was, and I knew that New Hampshire was a rather libertarian state, but it certainly wasn't at the forefront of its reputation, I don't think. I mean, right before I left, red flag laws had passed the New Hampshire House and Senate. The only reason they didn't become law is because Sununu vetoed everything. Uh, Bernie Sanders had just won the primary. Uh, and, you know, there's no income tax or sales tax, but they have some of the highest property taxes. Um, and so I just wasn't very, um, I wasn't very inspired, you know, I wasn't very hopeful that it was actually going to turn into anything. So I thought, you know, th this free state project idea sounds great, but I don't really think it's taking off. So that wasn't anything that was going to hold me back and keep me in New Hampshire. However, over the last couple of years with how insane the entire country has become, you're seeing people move to states like Texas, Florida, and New Hampshire is one of those states. And I like the way New Hampshire is doing everything. We talked about this. Um, I was on Ryan Dawson's show last night, uh, Anti-Neocon Report. I talked a little about this and I also talked about it the other night with Idaho Joe and Justin O'Donnell, that the approach Florida has used um, I don't think it's a long-term strategy. You know, uh, it's great that DeSantis has opposed the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates and everything, but they've centralized all the power around the governorship. And hopefully enough people have moved there to kind of change the culture because he barely won his election a few years ago. But, uh, you know, now I think a lot more people who are liberty-minded, at least on COVID stuff, have moved there. So hopefully he can maintain that seat but if he doesn't, like, I mean, everything they've fought for is gone. It's just right out the window because it's all centralized authority uh, decrees from on high. Where in New Hampshire, they elected a ton of free staters to the legislature and they removed the top down authority structure uh, that the governor had because Governor Sununu did institute. Uh, I wouldn't really say, a, I don't, I wouldn't really call it a lockdown. It might've been in the bigger cities. I was talking to my parents uh, while this was all going on, but there were mask mandates and statewide rules as far as essential businesses go, things like that. That cannot happen again in New Hampshire. They've removed that power. Um, so I really like the way that New Hampshire is moving ahead with this. And obviously I was born and raised there. My family's there, I have a lot of friends there. 
I also lot, have a lot of uh, political friends there who I've done shows with. Uh, Jeremy Kaufman just won the nomination for U.S. Senate from the Libertarian Party today. That's incredible. <laughs> I mean, he's someone who's actually impressive, who's been on Tim Pool, who has created multiple companies, who's a very talented speaker, who's been all around the world. That is a campaign I want to get behind. So uh, I am planning to be moving back to New Hampshire sometime in June, just before Porkfest. Uh, so I just wanted to tell you guys about that. I saw Mike try to join, but his uh, internet must have cut out because he's gone. So I'm just going to keep going. Um, I'd be remiss as a libertarian trucker podcast if I never talked about the uh, Canadian trucker strike going on right now. And I did mention it a little bit uh, the other day with Tommy Sammons, but at the time I didn't really know much about what was going on. Um, I had a hectic work week. I worked uh, almost 70 hours from Sunday to Friday. So I had like no time off. Uh, I was driving from pretty much dusk to dawn as much as I could. Sometimes I was going beyond that because uh, like in Montana, I could drive oversized at night. But anyway, I was just exhausted, didn't have any time to read up on anything, uh, but now I've actually had a chance to do that. So a lot of you guys probably remember a few months ago, they were floating the idea of requiring non-U.S. citizens to be vaccinated to enter the country through ports. And they did pass that this month. So now if you're a truck driver or a port worker or you know any type of tradesman that deals with... Uh, imports or exports, you have to be vaccinated if you're not a U.S. citizen to enter the United States. Um, and now Canada has passed that same law and the truckers are, um, you know, the truckers are protesting over that. So a lot more truck drivers, or at least uh, per capita, a lot more truck drivers come into the United States than truck drivers going into Canada. And I looked up some statistics. Um, Canada is our number one export of goods. Like we send the most percentage of our goods to Canada, over 15%. And they are our number three import, over 12% of our imports. And then for Canada, the USA is number one in both export and import. Um, over 75% of their exports go to the United States and over 50% of their imports come from the United States. So this is no joke, especially for Canada. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of food and items like that go north from the United States into Canada. From Canada, we get a lot of uh, fuel and, um, lumber and things like that. Uh, you guys on the East Coast have probably seen Irving uh, fuel stations. That's based out of Canada. I've actually been by the central hub for Irving. I think it was in St. John's, New Brunswick, I believe. Um, but this is not like some tiny little deal. Like this is a huge, uh, this is a huge area of trade between the United States and Canada. And so the Canadian truck drivers just said, nope, we're not doing this. So I don't even know what the number is because I've seen conflicting reports on how many trucks there are. 
but thousands of trucks. Uh, they started in both uh, in the West in British Columbia and in the East in Nova Scotia. And they drove toward Ottawa and they started showing up yesterday and they've been there last night and today. And they're just, um, <laughs> you know, they're just honking their horns and there's people on the side of the streets waving Canadian flags, holding up signs. And it's just really heartwarming to watch. Um, I've got some videos. I'll see if I can uh, make this work. Let's see. And in the live chat, you're going to have to tell me if you can actually hear um, any of this. But I'm going to share the screen and show a uh, video that I got of the um, of the protesters. So for anyone who's listening and not watching, it's just showing um, all these different shots of people on the side of the road, uh, trucks just in this huge convoy going through different areas of Canada, um, men, women, children, all sorts of, uh, you know, all sorts of different people. I was watching interviews today where there were people who, you know, they weren't anti-vaccine. They weren't even anti this vaccine necessarily. They were just against mandating that people have to, um, you know, that people should have to inject something into their body uh, against their will. But it looks like we got Mike. We'll see if he can actually hear us. Hey, Mike, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I'm glad you're here, man. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Sorry. I was having difficulties with my Bluetooth as usual, but hey, I'm on now. Cool. Yeah, no, this is great. Uh, let me know if his audio is wonky, guys, if I need to uh, boost his up or anything uh, in the chat. That would be great. Uh, so, Mike, I move excavators and, you know, bulldozers and things like that. I don't move essential uh you know, essential products as, I mean, I guess if I didn't move excavators for a very long time, eventually that would be a problem. But as far as like things that are needed immediately, you are much more in that department. You move groceries, frozen goods, things like that. So uh, just for people who don't know who you are, tell us uh, uh, what you can about where you work and what you do. Am I still connected? Can you hear me? Yeah. Could you hear the question? I think I, just I lost asked? you. Well, well, looks like we lost Mike. Sorry, guys. That sucks. We'll see if he tries to jump back in. But anyway, uh, Mike is a trucker. I'm not going to say what company he works for because he obviously keeps that under wraps for coming on this show. Uh, but he moves uh, a reefer trailer. So he's moving, you know, stuff that if you, uh, you know, if you weren't moving, um, at a constant rate, people would be dead pretty fast. Um, actually, I should have brought that image up. I'm gonna see if I can find it here, but I had an image that I was uh, sharing on Twitter and Instagram that showed what happens when the trucks stop moving. I'm gonna see if I can find it here and I'll throw it up for you guys if I can. Uh, let's see, go to Instagram. Or actually just go to Facebook, that's a better. It's got the full image there. But um, I mean, if trucks stop moving, 
things fall apart pretty quickly, like within a couple days. And that is if all the trucks stop moving, but it's not exactly a group of people that you want to fuck with. Uh, let's see. Here we go. All right. Let's see if I can share the screen and bring that up. Um, all right. Hopefully that's working. Yep. Looks like it is. So within 24 hours, if all the trucks stop, you know, medical supplies uh, to hospitals run dry, uh, service stations run out of fuel, manufacturers using just-in-time manufacturing will develop component shortages, mail and other package deliveries will cease within one day, food shortages will begin to develop, automobile fuel availability and delivery will dwindle. Uh, leading to skyrocketing prices and long lines of gas pumps. That's just 24 hours. In two to three days, food shortages will escalate, especially in the face of hoarding and consumer uh, consumer panic. Supplies of essentials such as bottled water, powdered milk, and canned meat at major retailers will disappear. ATMs will run out of cash and banks will be unable to process transactions service stations will completely run out of fuel garbage will start piling up in urban and suburban areas container ships will sit idle in ports and rail transport will be disrupted eventually coming to a standstill so that's just in a few days what happens if all the trucks stop moving uh looks like mike is trying to rejoin i don't know if you can hear me mike but i don't see any image on the screen so i'm assuming you don't have a good connection but um that's what happens if you fuck with truck drivers and all of them stop so you know they've already been fucking with medical workers requiring that they get the vaccine and thousands of them have quit so we're already exhausting the uh you know the medical field i had surgery in the beginning of january and i was supposed to go last week for a checkup appointment and they couldn't do it because they didn't have enough staff and so then I did it uh, yesterday instead, and I had to go to a special location because they uh, didn't have enough staff where they wanted me to go originally. Um, And then the next checkup appointment they could have done was like two or three weeks from now. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. So you've already done that to the medical field, and now you're trying to do it to the transportation industry. Like, are you fucking retarded? and, you know, I've been split in the past, on, you know, because I've been asked by people, don't you think we should do a general strike? And because of the stats I just read you about truck drivers, like what happens if you stop the trucks? I've actually been against it because um, I've thought you're actually only going to hurt innocent people because within two or three days, you know, people are going to start rioting and starving and hospitals are going to run out of supplies. So it's sort of a big deal. So if they're just mandating masks in Indiana or something, like I wouldn't recommend shutting down all trucks throughout the entire country. Like, I think that's ridiculous. Um, You know, if it's San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York City, that's a little bit different. Like those places have become like medical apartheid states at this point. Uh, So I'd be way more, uh, I'd be way more, you know, supportive of a complete strike against 
bringing products to those places. But if you just did a general strike, even just with truck drivers all across the country, like you'd have a lot of people die pretty quickly. So, um, you know, when we're not already in um, the type of situation that Australia is in, I don't think that type of uh, response is warranted. But in Canada, you know, <laughs> they've had police checkpoints making sure that you have papers to go where you're supposed to work. Um, you know, they have ridiculous um, restrictions on people entering the country. They have ridiculous restrictions on people who aren't vaccinated. Um, I'm going to play a clip of our uh, everybody's favorite dictator, um, Justin Trudeau. Let's uh, pull that up. And you can see why I'd be a little bit more uh, supportive of a trucker strike in Canada than the United States right now. All right, here we go. Here's Trudeau. It's important to underline that close to 90% of truckers in this country are vaccinated, like close to 90% of Canadians. Over the past many months and years now, Canadians have stepped up to protect each other, to protect our frontline workers, to protect our elders, to protect our young people, to protect people like truckers who are putting food on our grocery store shelves. Canadians have stepped up to do the right thing to protect the freedoms and the rights of Canadians to get back to the things we love to do. We know the way through this pandemic is by getting everyone vaccinated. And the overwhelming majority, close to 90% of Canadians have done exactly that. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent the views of Canadians who have been there for each other, who know that following the science and stepping up to protect each other is the best way to continue to ensure our freedoms, our rights, our values as a country. So the, the gaslighting there is just um, absolutely insane. Uh, you know, what he says about following the science is obviously ridiculous. The idea that if we all get vaccinated, that coronavirus is going to go away has been completely disproven. Like most mainstream doctors aren't even saying that. I mean, even the ones that are within allowable opinion, they're not even saying that. Um, I love how he says, you know, the, the, the ones who have gotten vaccinated are caring about our rights and our freedoms. And then he claims that people have unacceptable opinions, <laughs> like unacceptable opinions about what they're going to have to inject into their bodies in order to have a job. Um, I don't know. That's just absolutely insane to me that um, people aren't freaking out more about that. That's just absolutely disgusting. So um, I realize Biden has said a lot of things that are just as bad as that. But I mean, I've driven around the country and as divisive and stupid and retarded as it's getting, as I mentioned earlier, it's nothing like Canada. Um, I mean, Canada is like right behind Australia as far as authoritarianism and medical apartheid goes. So all this to say, like if you push people to the brink, what do you expect them to do in response? So, yeah, like people are going to go without food. People are going to go without 
fuel and in Canada, it's very cold, especially right now. Um, so some people aren't going to have heating because of, you know, supply shortages and things like that. But what do you expect when you push people to the brink? This type of thing is going to happen. So I do support what's going on in Canada. And a lot of people have asked me, why don't you go up there? Uh, I can't. I don't have a passport. I'm also not vaccinated. Um, and I don't own my truck. I'm a company driver. I'm not an owner operator. So I'm not like these guys who can just take the tractor up there and drive. Uh, I really wish I were there. I mean, this is a historical moment. Um, I, but it's also in Ottawa, about 2,000, maybe even more, like 2,500 miles away from where I live. So unfortunately, I can't be there. But I fully support everyone who is striking in Canada. Um, and hopefully things don't become as bad as they are in Canada here in the United States. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm voting with my feet. You know, I had Kim Iverson on the show the other day and we were talking about secession. And then toward the end, uh, we were talking about reinstating the 10th Amendment properly and actually respecting states' rights and moving to places that protect your freedoms. Uh, Utah is not bad, by the way. I, I don't want people to think that Utah is becoming an apartheid state medically either. They're not. But uh, New Hampshire has taken a very bold stance. They actually introduced a bill in uh, New Hampshire to secede from the union, which I don't think had any chance of passing at all. But those are the types of steps they're taking there. They're trying to make it so you can buy ivermectin over the counter. Uh, they're removing all sorts of dumb um, you know, dumb regulations on food and all sorts of things. So New Hampshire's just taking an obvious stance against any of this type of shit. So that's why I'm uh, voting with my feet and moving back there because I can see the United States becoming like Canada. Um, I, I don't think it's impossible. And it seems the only states that are putting up any fight is where people, um, have some common love of liberty and freedom and they'll actually fight to oppose it. Like if 40% of the people in a state uh, don't support mandates and uh, medical apartheid, but 60% do sucks to be part of the 40%. And that's why we all love uh, democracy so much. Um, but yeah, I don't think Mike's going to be able to join us, unfortunately. Um, but uh, go follow him on Twitter. Anyway, I've got his, uh, his by uh, his uh, Twitter handle in the description. So just go click on that. Give him a follow. Um, I guess I'll take any questions if anyone has uh, any specific questions about anything. Uh, but I'm going to while you're thinking of your questions, I'm just going to play one last clip that I saw of a guy in Ottawa uh, describing what they're doing, trying to discourage the uh, protesters. So uh, here I'll uh, play it for you in a second. Share. All right, here we go. As we Levant here, I'm on Parliament Hill. I'm standing next to the Centennial Flame, which is named because it was uh, inaugurated on the 100th anniversary of Confederation in Canada in 1967. Uh, it's a natural gas flame, and around it, you can see there's a plaque for every province and territory. Except you'll notice there's no flame. The water is not freezing, but the natural gas flame has been turned off. And I think this is part of the sort of passive aggressive response 
to the protest by authorities. They turned off highway traffic cameras that normally let you monitor traffic because they didn't want people to see the size of the convoy. They turned off the centennial flame, some might suggest, and I think I'd be one of them, because it's keeping people warm when it's minus 20 here. The pettiness of officials knows no bounds. They closed a lane of a bridge to slow down the convoy. Uh, in Nova Scotia, they issued an unconstitutional edict banning people from cheering at the side of the highway for the convoy. It's minus 22, and they turned off the centennial flame because they don't want the protesters to stay warm. That's the nature of authority here, and it's one of the reasons why people have lost all respect for the government. If you're interested in our on-the-ground reporting of the convoy, go to convoyreports.com. I'm with 10 or actually 12 other Rebel News reporters in town. We'll tell you everything the mainstream media will. Yeah, so there's that. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I see a lot of parallels between this and the January 6th protesters. Um, and it doesn't matter what you think about the 2020 election, just like it doesn't matter what you think about the COVID vaccine. Uh, what matters is people's rights and their questions or their uh, doubt just being suppressed and not being answered. And also, you know, the demonization of anyone who doesn't just fall in line with the establishment narrative. Uh, I was not a Trump supporter, but um, seeing what they did to the January 6th protesters, trying to demonize all of them as traitors or terrorists was absolutely disgusting. I did a video about that called January 6th was a disappointment. Uh, a few weeks ago, you can go watch that. It came out on January 6th. I see them doing the exact same thing with this. And I won't be surprised if there are some provocateurs uh, in Ottawa who set something off and try to you know, paint all the protesters with a broad brush of uh, being some sort of terrorist or domestic extremist. Oh. Looks like Mike is trying to join. Maybe we can actually get his thoughts here. Hey, Mike, can you hear me? Mike, can you hear me? Well, looks like he still can't hear me. Oh, well, that's too bad. Uh, Mike, I, I don't know if you can hear me, but I just give it up at this point. I'm almost, we're almost wrapped unless you actually do get a solid connection. Uh, let's see if we got any questions. Um, Reed, are you familiar with Allison McDowell and her work with human capital finance? I am not. I will uh, try to look into that, though. Uh, let's see. Jess Core asks, why do you think people are so afraid of being free? Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but in the 2016 campaign, um, Gary Johnson was saying that most people are libertarian. They just don't know it yet. I think we have unequivocally found that that is not the case. <laughs> I think most people are authoritarians. They like being told what to do and they like telling other people what to do. Um, if you guys have been with me for a while, or if you go back and watch, uh, I think it's called naturalist capitalist introduction It's the first video, uh, that I put out, um, before I'd launched the show. And I was talking about how, um, you know, the reason people don't talk to people who disagree with them 
is because they're actually scared that their opposition might have something intelligent to say that makes them rethink everything they've become comfortable with. Uh, also, I went on Matt Kibbe's show, I don't know, four or five months ago, and he titled it, Comfort is the Biggest Threat to Liberty. So uh, liberty is uncomfortable. It puts you outside your comfort zone. It makes you question things that you don't want to question. Uh, it makes you consider other possibilities than whatever bubble you've uh, encapsulated yourself in. And so I think that's why people are afraid of it. Like it's very easy to hate the other side right now and just give in to contrarianism and you know, just hate everything that comes out of the left wing or the right wing. Uh, and it doesn't take any thought. So, you know, people will look for comfort above everything else, above fulfillment, above joy, above relationships. I mean, that's why relationships fail. That's why families fall apart. That's why countries can't get along. You know, I mean, it's just because uh, comfort is easier than doing the right thing or trying to rectify a situation like like think about how long um sometimes you'll go without making an apology to someone that you know you should make all in all like it's way easier to make the apology and move on it, it lifts such a weight from your shoulders but you'll hold a grudge for months because it's just easier like it's um you know, it, it's more comfortable somehow. And it's, it's, it's more comfortable to deal with your guilt and your anger than it is to actually approach someone and ask for forgiveness. So I think it, it all boils down to that. It's just like, it's more comfortable to stay stuck in your ways instead of considering the fact that you could have been wrong about something. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, Mike, who's trying to get on. Uh, he says, it's kind of weird. I can watch the show on YouTube, but I don't have the bandwidth to log in. I think the feds hacked my phone. Yeah, it's Mossad, dude. They, they don't let me get through any, uh, they don't let me get through any live stream without some sort of technical difficulties. Um, what's this? Is that video redid still on YouTube or was it taken down? Uh, if this is about January 6th was a disappointment, it's still up, but you have to be logged in to watch it because they age restricted it. Cause I have a clip of uh, Derek Chauvin on George Floyd's neck. I think that's why it's age restricted. Um, Reed, have you thought about running for political office? Yes. Uh, that's actually one of the reasons I'm moving back to New Hampshire. Uh, probably not imminently because I want to be involved with like Jeremy Kaufman's campaign. And then uh, in 2024, there are going to be a lot of campaigns I want to be involved in. But probably after that, I'll run for state house in New Hampshire. I'm heavily considering that, especially since you can literally go and knock on everybody's door that you're going to be representing. Uh, New Hampshire, I think like 1.6 million people live there, something like that. Uh, and there's like 400 people in the House of Representatives in the state legislature. So uh, depending on which town you're representing, you know, it could be like 1,500 people if you're in the right place. So you can actually go. You don't have to spend a lot of money and you uh, can actually go door to door and meet people that you represent. Excuse me. And since I grew up in New Hampshire, I know the state very well. seems like the right fit. Also, I, uh, you know, I could go without a job for probably, I don't know, five years right now with the amount of money I have just because I'm single and I've worked my entire adult life and I don't spend much money. 
But as I'm hoping to start, uh, you know, getting some money off of this show, um, I could, I could be a state representative and get the 100 bucks a year or whatever it is, and still go and, uh, you know, go to the state house, however much I need to. It's not that often. I think it's once a week. I had a friend who used to be a representative and he'd go, I think once a week. Uh, and I, that's right up my alley. I could certainly do that. So yes, I am thinking about running for political office. Um, the other false narrative is the supposed shortage of trucks. Anyone that's in the industry knows this isn't true. I haven't even heard that shortage of trucks. I mean, I know there are like with the supply line issues, if you need a new clutch or something, you can be out for like seven weeks. But uh, I haven't heard anything about shortage of trucks. There's shortage uh, drivers. Um, and my friend Tommy Sammons, he's talked about how that has been exaggerated in the past, but now it's become a reality, especially with um, the new drug testing. I think like 60,000 truckers were taken off the road in 2020 and 2021. Um, so, you know, there's a lot fewer drivers uh, and then we have all the port problems and everything. So that's just a complete clusterfuck. And then California, which is a huge port state, uh, passed that owner operator law where they're trying to do away with owner operators. You have to basically be a contractor or a company driver to enter the state is what they're trying to make happen. I don't actually haven't looked into that recently. They may have passed it. That's something that hasn't affected me because I'm a company driver. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, let's see. Why do people love Alex Jones so much that they can't tell he is a Zion asset? Well, uh, Alex Jones is fun. He's exciting. He's funny. You know, it's, it, I think uh, sensationalism is a lot more entertaining than the truth. So that's why people like him. Let's see. Uh, who is coming on for episode 200? Are you going to get Coward Dave Smith on? Um, I don't know. I uh, kind of left that open on Twitter. I was asking people what they'd like to see. Um, I don't necessarily need some big guest. I think it would be kind of fun to do like a four horseman where we rotate the fourth guest every 15 minutes and we just have a ton of people who've been very supportive of the show. So like you could have Dave and then Scott and then, um, you know, Will Bell. Or I don't know. Like <laughs> I'm open to ideas. Uh, or I could do like a Josh Smith type stream where there's like 12 people on at once. Those are kind of hectic. So I'd rather not do that. But I want to do something, you know, that's kind of thanking everybody who's been involved. By the way, as far as thanks go, um, that new intro that you guys love, um, I have made all my intros until that one. I uh, paid Dan Smots to make that one for me. And uh, his work is very good, but it's not extremely cheap. But I wanted to point out that you guys actually paid for that uh, and this fancy microphone and everything I have has been paid for by you guys with uh, super chats. So I really appreciate those. And I know I don't read uh, as many of them anymore, but when I'm having James Lindsay on the show or Kim Iverson on the show, like I kind of have to uh, stick to whatever talking points we're talking about. I can't really necessarily deviate all the time uh, Four horsemen. Sometimes we can, but um those super chats do help. So, you know, I, I know I have less audience interaction than I used to, but it's just because of the bigger guests and I can't deviate as much, but uh, keep sending those. Uh, and you guys, your support uh, got me that uh, both the intro and the channel trailer and all the fancy equipment. So I wanted to thank you guys for that. Um, 
Why are you so excited for Jeremy running for Senate? Well, I was saying earlier, he's actually someone who has done something with his life. He has created multiple companies. Uh, he, he created uh, Library, which Odyssey's a part of. Um, he's been all around the world doing speaking tours. He's a well-known name. He's been on uh, uh, Tim Pool. So I don't know. Like, I'm just excited to see somebody who has some potential running for Senate, uh, running for a big seat. So I think that's great. And that's for U.S. Senate, not just uh, New Hampshire Senate. Uh, Will Bell, next capitalist communion win. Well, I don't know, buddy. You and I are the only two who really gave a definitive answer on that. So whenever uh, Liam and uh, Jacob decide they want to uh, they want to do something. Um, being free is not comfortable and people like being comfortable. Exactly. Uh, do you know what happens to Odyssey if Kaufman wins? Uh, I'm assuming it gets more popular. So, uh, you know, rising tide lifts all ships. So let's hope for that. Uh, Medic Knight throws in five bucks and says, Reed, what is your opinion of Nick Sarwark? Um, I don't know what his purpose is anymore. Like, I don't know why he sticks around. I mean, I don't necessarily need him to leave, but I mean... <laughs> At this point, like he's almost helpful because he's such an insufferable cunt that, um, you know, he makes people more motivated to get involved because they hate his guts so much. Like that seems to be what his utility is at this point. Uh, personally, he hasn't really done much to take a swipe at me. He had, I know he has a couple times on social media, but whatever. I've uh, met him once at Freedom Fest, I actually asked him a question. Uh, he was saying that theft did not violate the non-aggression principle and we were all challenging him on that so i mean he says stuff like that all the time like i don't necessarily think he's a cia asset i think that's a little bit ridiculous but uh if he were a cia asset um i think you know <laughs> i don't know what he would do differently although like i said it's had kind of the opposite of the intended effect instead of dividing the party it kind of unifies it it unifies the movement against him so if he is COINTELPRO, um you know he is doing a good job at infiltrating but he's not doing a good job at splitting us because he's actually uniting us against him uh let's see all the homies jose gallison yeah i agree that's what i want to that's what i want to see uh some sort of show where everyone's coming on you'd certainly be one of the guests um, are you going to go on Pete's show anytime soon? Didn't see any of the drama. I don't know how bad it was. Um, look with Pete, like I don't want to have any conflict with him. Uh, I haven't said anything about that drama on the show. It wasn't as much with him as it was with Stacy. Um, and yeah, I, I'm open to going on Pete's show open and I'm open to having him back on here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I'm certainly not intending to, uh, create any sort of drama that doesn't need to happen. Uh, let's see, please keep it to three people. James Corbett and Ryan Dawson are some of my heroes. I'm glad you are associated with them. Me too, man. Um, me too. I'm glad to be associated with them. Uh, let's see. Knowledge is power with Tommy Salmon's cool video, dude. Thanks. Yeah, Tommy Salmon's great. Everyone should go check out the Year Zero podcast. Um, 
if there's a shortage of drivers, why is there not enough parking for trucks and why have rates been stagnant? So from my understanding, rates have been stagnant because of the government subsidizing trucking companies. Um, this is a better question for Tommy Sammons. He's dug into this a lot more, uh, but they can drive the rates down because they're getting subsidies from the federal government. Um, and then you also have like, you know, free overnight shipping and all that type of stuff that drives rates down. Um, why is there not enough parking for trucks? I, I think that's always been a problem. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily that, uh, you know, I, there are fewer trucks on the road or sorry, there are, there have been 60,000 drivers taken off the road in the last couple of years. Um, but also there's like a, you know, there are certain products that aren't making it to their destination as quickly as they used to. Like some products are still making it through, but there's like a rubber shortage going on. Um, and like parts for trucks are harder to get through. So there's all sorts of like different areas of the supply chain that are breaking down and getting clogged up. Let's see. All right. Well, I guess I'm going to cut it off there. Um, sorry that Mike couldn't join us. Um, thanks for trying, Mike. I'll probably rename this episode when I release it on Apple and Spotify and all that because it ended up being just me. Uh, but yeah, I guess this is my first solo episode. I've done solo rants in my truck before, but I've never actually done a legit episode all by myself. So here it is. But um I think I'm going to be able to put together something with a trucker who's actually been up in Canada for tomorrow because I'd like to get some eyewitness accounts. Uh, and then Ryan Dawson has a friend who was actually one of the leaders of the convoy who ended up in jail overnight. And apparently he's going to get him for the next four horsemen, uh, which is going to be a week from tomorrow if everything goes right. Um, so stay tuned for that. I got Scott Horton on Tuesday. We're going to be talking about Ukraine. Um, and then Thursday, I've got Scott Libsey, who's a, a fellow Utah libertarian. Um, we're going to be talking about a few different things, one of which is kind of the, the pre-convention that's taken place on February 26th. Uh, Scott Horton is going to be coming and speaking. And it's basically just an event to get everyone excited about Utah's convention, which is a couple months later. Uh, but if you can't get people inspired to run, then the convention can be pretty useless. So the whole purpose of this is just to get people inspired to actually run for office or nominate people or whatever. So we'll be talking about that on Thursday. Uh, and then after that, I don't really know what's going on. I am going on a show tomorrow. I'm sorry, I forget the name of the show, but they uh, just messaged me on Twitter yesterday to confirm. Uh, so I'll post a link to that when I do go on there. Um, and yeah, that's about it, guys. Um, I'd suggest you move to New Hampshire if it works for you. I, I know it's cold, but I don't know, keeps the statists away. <laughs> you know, uh, New Hampshire is beautiful. Um, I said California is my favorite state geographically. New Hampshire is sort of like the East Coast version of California. It has everything. I mean, it's got ocean, it's got mountains, it's got lakes, it's got forests. It doesn't have deserts like California, but it's got a lot for being a tiny little state. It's got the, uh, the tallest mountain in the Northeast, Mount Washington. Uh, it's got, I think Mount Sunapee has the best man-made snow in the world, they say, for skiing. 
Um, fuck you, Jose. Florida's not better. I've been to both. Um, but yeah, if you can't stomach New Hampshire, then move down to Florida with Jose, and maybe that's maybe that's your speed. But uh, yeah, everyone who watches, who lives in New Hampshire, I'm excited to uh, reunite with you guys in a few months, but I'm not in a huge hurry to get out of here. Uh, my boss has been very good to me, so I'm trying to give him plenty of time to fill my position. Um, we also had our senior driver just, uh, he's quitting, I think next week. So he's leaving and I'll be leaving. So that's kind of a big blow. So I want to make sure he's, you know, plenty prepared and I'm not, like I said, I'm not in a rush, love my job. Um, and I'll just enjoy what I got left of driving over the road. When I get back to New Hampshire, I'm planning on still truck driving part-time. Uh, but I want to focus on political campaigns, focus on this show more than I've been able to. Uh, and that's going to be possible through all your guys' support. Uh, so thank you for the continued support. Thank you for sharing these videos, liking these videos, throwing the super chats. I appreciate all of it. But uh, yeah, I will catch you guys on the next stream whenever that is. Uh, I'm going to end this stream by playing the trailer that Dan Smots put together for me. I did the intro in the beginning, but just in case you haven't seen the trailer, I'm going to play it here. And it is also the pinned video on my YouTube page, but I'll catch you guys later. From the heart of trucker America, my boy, Reed Coverdale, host of The Naturalist, Capitalist. This is what government does. It sucks. It is that perfect mixture of inept and conniving. Some of my closest relationships are now ruined. If you think you're going to win people over by stating commonplaces, you're just selling the other parts. If you are just contrarian, you are by default going to be wrong because they're always going to have some tidbit of truth. It is about dictating every transaction that you have for the rest of your life. Libertarians need to get out of New York. They need to get out of California. Insurrection at Capitol Hill. That was the beginning of my program. is the guy to be president of the United States. No one's willing to change anything about themselves to get there. But I'll put a 50 cal attached to my suburban. And he died doing what he loved, chasing a minor. This guy's a fucking murderer. The gulag is going to be in your house, completely estranged from everything but propaganda. Pearl Harbor was not a surprise, and Saddam did not have nuclear weapons. Unless you solve the central problem, then we'll be fighting over Mr. Potato Head forever. You should not be alive. This is unfucking believable. Gotta get him out of that truck at night and get him into the White House.